Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We'll get to, was Eddie Garrison ripped off, or is he trying to work the system a little bit later today? <laughs> we'll say in about 15 minutes or so, but let's talk to a dude named Thor. huh? Thor Nystrom, NFL draft slash college football analyst. He's at Fantasy Pros. And if you didn't catch, I didn't catch it myself, but Eddie Garrison said, if you don't know, it's the Avengers theme song right there with, the, of course, the name Thor. Are you an Avengers fan there, Thor? Of course. How could I not be? <laughs> I feel like I got to ask you, how much do you bench? If you're a guy named Thor, I feel like you could throw some weight around there. I'd rather have the gifts that I put out on Twitter benching for me. I might not bench as much as the, as the movie character, but yeah, we, we, we do okay. I'm, I'm lucky I wasn't born, you know, 5'5 five, five with that name for sure. Are we talking like uh, if we're repping out at the Combine, are we talking like, what, 10, 12 reps of 225 right now? We'll, we'll, we'll toss up 25 of them. Wow. Oh, that's man. what I'm saying, Thor. That's it right there. Now, I want to I know what specifically is the most interesting storyline for you regarding the NFL draft. So don't, don't just give me all quarterbacks in general, but is there specifically you think C.J. Stroud probably going to Carolina – Maybe Bryce Young goes to Houston. What specifically is it? Is it Anthony Richardson, Will Levis? Where is it for you? Yeah, this is going to be a really fun draft because we we still don't know. I, like I thought, I knew that the Panthers were in on CJ Stroud, but they, I mean, they, they might just be putting out smoke screens, you know, as far as some of this stuff. But some people you talk to will now swear that their guy is Bryce Young. Some will say that it's Anthony Richardson. It seems like Anthony Richardson's camp thinks that there's a decent shot that he could go number one. So. It's still a three-horse race with less than three weeks to go until day one. And then, you know, however, it's going to be quarterback, quarterback, presumably. Then it gets really interesting with Arizona. Do they end up trading that slot to a team that's, that's going to take a quarterback? And then, obviously, Indianapolis sitting in that fourth slot is very intrigued by all the different stuff going on above them. Thor, a lot of people, when they look at mock drafts, they look at player comps, they, they misunderstand the purpose of the comp, they misunderstand what the writer or what the draft analyst is going for when when they make comps next to an unproven draft prospect. For you, what are you? What message are you trying to convey when you make those comparisons? For instance, C.J. Stroud as a, a Justin Herbert comp, Bryce Young as a Russell Wilson comp in, in a piece you had on Fantasy Pros earlier this week. What are you trying to illustrate with the comps? You're just trying to put the, the closest picture that you can in for the reader in their head as far as, as who that player could be, but you, you, you bring in a whole bunch of different things with it. You bring in their, their measurables, the, the way that they test similar athletic profiles, and then the way that they play as well. And then you're also trying to sort of hit it with the, the career progression that you think the kid's going to have. Because if, you know, if it's a guy that you think is going to be UDFA, but he sort of plays like a poor man's version of a, a guy who has you know, been in, in multiple Pro Bowls or whatever. You can't really do that as the comp because it's misleading. So you, you try to bake all those different things in and a lot of moving parts. But, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things because before I did this work, I love comps just as a fan. And so I, I love putting out a whole bunch of – put out 500 on my 500-player big board. It's coming out in a couple of weeks on Fantasy Pros. He's Thor Nystrom from Fantasy Pros joining us here on The Fan. Thor, what's the most outlandish pick – 
that you've seen in a mock draft where your reaction is that clearly is not going to be happening here? Uh, Hendon Hooker in the first round. I, I would still be surprised if it did, and it's coming right to my doorstep here in Minneapolis because people have been mocking Hendon Hooker to the Vikings. I wouldn't understand that one at all. Uh, to me, Hendon Hooker's more of a round three guy. You know, he's, he's going to be 26 during his rookie year. We don't even know if he's going to play during his rookie season because of the ACL thing. And then there's reasons to be concerned about his on-field profile. That he didn't succeed as a passer until, you know, starting his second-to-last season when he had to come in off the bench for Joe Milton, the kid he had lost the, 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 the job to coming out of camp. That, and he, Hendon Hooker, had come from Virginia Tech where he had never uh, th- shown the throwing element. But he finally started to succeed, you know, once he, he, he came in for Milton off the bench. But, like, it was in this, this offense where it's, everything is spoon-fed for you. Hendon Hooker, it's, it's so interesting watching his tape. When, when he gets the ball, it's not just that it's the one side of the field. He will actually just immediately square his shoulders to that side of the field. The other side of the field is it's just not even available. It's not even an option. So, sometimes those Tennessee receivers weren't even running routes on that side. So it, it's a bit of a leap of faith to assume that he can then go through the full field progressions in the NFL. We have literally never seen that. So it is a total leap of faith. And then the other thing is he's a dual threat. He, he is a good runner. He can get the ball deep, but he doesn't use those things in conjunction. 155 times the last two years he was moved off his spot, according to PFF, only completed seven passes in those 155 occurrences. Thor, let's say, just for the sake of argument, the Colts don't take a quarterback at four. That's been our assumption is that that's what they're going to do. I'm not even talking about trading back. Let's just say they go best available. When you look at guys like Will Anderson Jr., when you look like Jalen Carter, in your analysis, are we talking about generational type players on that side of the ball? Well, yeah, in, in terms of on the field, for sure. I mean, Carter, we, we just don't see talents like that coming to the league every single year. That kid is unblockable when he's on. And then uh, Will Anderson's the, the other good one. But I put Will Anderson a solid, uh, you know, half a tier down from, from Jalen Carter just in terms of overall utility. Um, you know, when you're talking about the fourth slide, those would be the only two other guys that I would even consider there. You know, th- there's obviously other attractive prospects, but those two guys would, would stand out above the rest for sure. How about overrated QBs? Of the top five rated QBs, who do you think is the most overrated guy? Um, well, it, it would be it would be Levis for me, although it, it seems like now people are starting to wake up to some of these different things that, that we've been talking about since, I mean, like, you know, when he was playing or whatever like that. I love the arm, and he does have some of the athleticism in, in that sort of prototypical frame. He, he went to Penn State as their, you know, running quarterback guy, the same position that Tommy Stevens had been in before him. But the, the thing is, with, with his passing, it, you know, everybody knows that, that he has mechanical inconsistencies. It's more like a mechanical nonchalance with him because sometimes he just doesn't set his feet or, or square his shoulders to the target, even in clean pockets. When he, when he does have that stuff going, the, the accuracy plays way up. So, so you can understand why people are like, oh, just fix that and, and convince him to, to every time be mechanically sound. His arm's going to play way up. But the issue with him is he lacks pocket presence. He just doesn't – like he can't feel when that rush is coming. So he gets ragdolled in the pocket all the time. His, his conversion rate of press to sacks, one of the highest in this class. And when he does recognize the, the pressure late, if he's not getting sacked, Generally, he makes a mistake with the ball. And where it gets a bridge too far for me with him is how are you going to, you know, just suppose that you're going to be able to fix the mechanics when every time he's under duress, he's panicking. He, he, he forgets that stuff even when he's in clean pockets. So, so that's why he's riskier for me. And then, I, you know, I brought up Penn and Hooker before. So those would be the two guys in the class where I'm, I'm just, you know, lower on than, than everybody else, I guess. 
Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros, nice enough to make some time with us here on The Fan. Thor, conversely, the other potential option at quarterback for the Colts at four is Anthony Richardson. The main mark against him has been the accuracy issue at times. You'd like to see that maybe as many as five, six, seven, and above points higher on his accuracy percentage at the next level. When you look at what you outline with Levis plus the marks against Richardson, is either one an easier fix or are they both truly project guys that are going to take a little bit of grooming to get where their ceiling could be? In, in, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they're both projects in terms of just they're not finished products yet. So, like, you know, they, they need work, whatever, and then what, what do they become on the other side of that? But I would far prefer Anthony Richardson to, uh, to Levis, both because the ceiling is, I mean, very clearly higher. You know, you don't need to be an expert to know that. Anthony Richardson coming into the league with an unprecedented uh, size speed, you know, the, the athleticism score for his size, whatever, had the perfect 10 on, on, on the Raz. But I also think he's a little bit less risky than he's been commonly depicted. Everyone talks about his accuracy percentage. What, what I prefer to look at is the on-target uh, on uh, percentage with, with those quarterbacks. His on-target percentage is, is more than acceptable. His receivers stunk last year at Florida, and he was learning to hit the fourth straight offense for the fourth straight year under a fourth different offensive coordinator. Four different ones in, in four years. Four different quarterback coaches in four years. Three different head coaches in, in four years. There's reasons to explain some of this stuff. And then he's learning the new system. And then the receivers he threw to last year, there was a lot of balls clanging off hands and stuff like that. So I think his accuracy is a, a bit better than people think. Still uh, obviously needs a lot of work on that, which is just the, the consistencies with his mechanics. Because he's another guy when the mechanics are on, the, the accuracy plays way up. The, the other thing I'd say, difference between him and Levis is, while Levis, uh, he panics when he's in the pocket under duress. Anthony Richardson, he, he, he's nonplussed about it. He, he doesn't care. Like a, a free rusher, can, there can even be two free rushers on him within just a couple strides of him. Anthony Richardson doesn't panic at all because he knows he has the athleticism to get out of any sticky situation that he's in on the field. Go back to that two-point conversion in the opener against Utah when Utah had the two free rushers on the right side, and the play concept called for Richardson to drift right into him. Utah had him dead to rights. Richardson gets away from both of them. He, he did that, that pirouette in midair with the, the pump fake to get rid of the one guy. Then he runs around the other one. Utah didn't have enough guys back. They blitzed too many guys. So then Richardson hits a wide-open guy in the end zone. I love that stuff with him. Um, and the, the rushing utility, obviously. So I, I think that the floors, I, I, I think, you know, like I said, I think Richardson a little bit higher in terms of that than, than is commonly depicted. And the ceiling certainly is way higher than Levis. How about the Colts at number four? There's been a debate around here where they should move up to number three. Some say you should stick with the fourth overall pick. If the board falls, and we know there are a lot of variables, but if the board falls where a combination of Stroud and Young go one-two, we know it depends on where the Colts have Levis and Richardson rated, but what do you think in general of the argument of either moving up to three or staying at four? I, I wouldn't make the Cardinals put me to a decision on that. Like, I, I haven't heard anything to indicate that the Cardinals are close to a deal with another team. I wouldn't even consider it until that possibility is out there. So I'd make the Cardinals do the work on that end. You don't want to be in a situation like, remember the Bears that year with the 49ers where they gave the 49ers stuff so they could move up one spot to take Mitch Trubisky? It was just totally unnecessary, and it seemed like they, they sort of got leverage into that, whatever. 
in, in this situation, I'd wait around. But if, you know, like in the Colts building, I, you know, I, I'm under the supposition that most of the football guys in there, that they prefer Richardson to Levis in, in that case. But, it, you know, it would depend on how far they are apart. But if you do have one guy that is tangibly above the other one, at the point where the Cardinals come to you and they're like, hey, we're going to take this other deal from this quarterback needy team, we just wanted to see if, if you guys would put anything out there to give us another possibility. That's when I'd consider it, but I certainly wouldn't be jumping head over heels to make that deal before the Cardinals have done their due diligence to bring another deal to you. Thor, I know your most recent piece on Fantasy Pros, Thor Nystrom, nice enough to join us here on The Fan, went through the first two rounds of the draft with player comps and with where you thought they might end up. Another critique among the Colts, they obviously have a need to fill at cornerback, but I'm a more offensive-minded guy. I love fun weapons, love fun toys there for a young quarterback. When you look at second-round wide receivers and beyond, uh, where would be the, the most upside or the best value that the Colts could find as this draft unfolds? As far as receiver at the yeah. cornerback position? Wide receiver, I apologize, yeah. Yeah, with receiver, where the Colts are sitting in at the, the top of round two, it's a really interesting spot as far as this receiver class goes because this receiver class is different than the last three, four years where it's way down. Like, we, we don't have, you know, we had some, like, unprecedented type receiver class coming, like, one after the other where it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's like the one class was, like, hold my beard of the last class. You know, it just kept getting better and better. This year we take a step way back with that receiver class, but with, with where the Colts are sitting in round two, that's the good spot to be in because assuredly one of these guys is going to filter down. Whether it's one of those top four guys, like, I, I think there's a shot that Jordan Addison could get into round two, which is a possibility that no one would have considered a couple months ago. But because of the, the measurables, he, he did not test very well for a guy as skinny as he is. But if he gets out of the first round, he's not going to have to wait long in, on Friday. The, the Colts might be his floor. But even, you know, y- y- you look outside of that, Jalen Hyatt's going to be there. Josh Downs is going to be there. I like Marvin Mims, uh, different guys like that. So th- there's going to be guys that you could potentially get, even, even Cedric Tillman. Actually, it's funny, I, I comp Cedric Tillman to Michael Pittman. So maybe, maybe that one would be a little bit redundant. But, you know, w- whether you take one there or whether you trade, down and the cornerback class is sort of different where the cornerback class in this one is absolutely stacked so it's less the moving parts you know that you're guaranteed a really good one there if you were to pick in that slot but the receiver one you do have a shot of one of those four guys potentially getting down there but if not there are a couple guys that would still be juice worth to squeeze at that pick hey thor appreciate the time man before you go we were kicking around uh the talent or skill that you have not related to your gig it was related to a former Pacers player who's really good at darts. So what is the talent or skill that you have on your resume not related to anything you do with fantasy pros there, Thor? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm trying to think. My, my whole world is, is, is this stuff. It, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I don't even know what I would be if, if not for this. I guess, I guess arguing with people on Twitter is what I would say. <laughs> There you go. Absolutely. Well, Thor, appreciate the time, man. Uh, we're inching closer to the draft and enjoy schooling the Twitter trolls in the meantime, huh? <laughs> Appreciate you, boys. Good talking to you. Thanks, Thor. Yep. Thank you. There he is, Thor Nystrom, NFL draft, college football analyst. At Fantasy Pros. Ah, Brian, no, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I feel like I'm supposed to uh, speak in hushed tones right now. I, I asked Eddie to play this yesterday, but I'm very thankful we did it today. Yeah. For our next I, guest. It's very, very apropos of wanting yeah. to be Garrison. 
I feel like I'm looking at azaleas. <laughs> yeah, to 11. I feel like I'm looking at, it's weird because I'm thinking of Victor Hovland's crazy flower shirt now. That Those are the images I get when I hear that now. I want to welcome in Will Haskett, PGA Tour Radio. You know, what's the feeling you get, Will, when you hear the Masters music? The only broadcast I've ever done in my career where I felt like I actually altered my delivery to meet the sort of the mood of the ambiance. I'm dead serious. Like when I've had the uh, the honor of broadcasting it, it was you know, hushed tones. You know, you're not supposed to get too up and too sort of down. It feels like less words per minute. I'm a fast talker by nature, but I was a little bit slower. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean all of the things that come with it. I mean, there's a million different ways that you can go with what you think of when you hear the song. Um, you know, I think big green and great golf, and we've seen some great golf so far through a day and a half, and maybe we get the rest of the day in, but it's, I don't think it's going to happen later on this afternoon. Yeah, man, it's crazy with the weather. How about Brooks Kepka? He's leading at minus 12 right now. Would you go with Kepka as the story of the tournament thus far, or would you go in a different direction? 100%. It has to be Brooks Kepka. And I think last week, you know, he won the third live event of the year in Orlando. Um, and it just kind of showed that there was a little fire in him to rev things up to get ready for the week that he really cares about. And those are major championship weeks. And then, I mean, from tee to green today, uh, I think he missed one fairway. He was, his irons were on point. He left a few putts short in the back nine, but really made everything that he was supposed to make. I mean, absolute clinical right now. And because of some attrition from some guys that were behind him, I mean, it's a five-shot lead right now. And one of the guys he has a lead over is still in school at Texas A&M. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy what he's able to do. And, yeah, if in the next – I mean, there's starting to be some storms and some showers popping up around the area. Look, if, if something pops up and the guys that are just getting their surround started right now, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, who are five shots back, if they can't get that much golf in today – and they have to come back out tomorrow when it's going to be 50 and raining and a north wind in there. I mean, it's it's a massive advantage for right now because this Brooks Kepka lead at five could be even more than that. It feels like more than that if the weather forecast comes true later on this afternoon. Will, if weather like it's projected to plagues the Masters all weekend. You have to apologize for my ignorance here. What's the worst case scenario? Obviously, there's a great drainage system uh, available uh, at Augusta National, but what's the worst case scenario of how things play out here if if rounds aren't able to be beginning on their on their scheduled time and they're having to to move and adjust things over the course of the weekend? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, today it's supposed to be storms, right? So if there's electricity, they're not going to play. Right. It's a dangerous situation, obviously, off the golf course. The weather forecast I saw for tomorrow is more that it's just kind of going to be a cold band of rain that's just kind of parked over them and, and keeps coming. So if there's embedded thunderstorms, then they don't play. But it, as long as the rain is not coming down so heavy that it's puddling on the greens and it's an unplayable situation, you know, they'll play through the, the rain. Um, but if there is some electricity and this thing, you know, pushes forward and pushes out and we don't – you know, get, say, the third round done tomorrow. And that's a lot of things have to happen for that not to happen. This is a, a, a small cut. You know, you only have the low 55 in ties. So you could play 36 holes in a day. And right now, Sunday looks clear. So if they were, you know, worst case scenario, they're only able to get 36 holes done in some combination of today and tomorrow. If the storms pop up this afternoon, I mean, they could get lucky today. You know, I still think they could play two rounds on Sunday around the golf course and get it done on time. But look, this is the first major of the year. It's the Masters. If they have to play on Monday, they can play on Monday. And uh, I wish I had the note in front of me. I don't know when the last time was there was a Monday finish 
at the Masters. I thought we were going to have one in 2019 when Tiger won. I remember they went early that year to get out ahead of the storms and barely got done before it completely opened up on them. But I think you have to go back to the late 80s the last time we had a Masters that actually got pushed into Monday. 83, says Google. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yep, yep. How, how could Google be wrong? <laughs> yeah, it can't be. Uh, Will Haskett from PGA Tour Radio joins us here on The Fan. You know, it's funny, Will. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... We make such a huge deal out of weather with football, say the NFL, where if there's a, a pass-happy team and it's going to be rainy or really windy or there's snow, like, it's a huge deal. It's talked about all week long leading up to a big game. This is the biggest tournament we have. And like, like you mentioned, it's a mammoth advantage if you have an earlier tee time today. Why don't you think we talk about it even more than we do the weather impact on a tournament like the Masters here. Yeah, I mean, week in and week out, those of us that are covering it all the time talk about it all the time. I mean, the weather is the number one differentiator in scoring. I mean, you can if it's the perfect meteorological conditions for a week leading up to the tournament, you can get golf courses that are firm and fast and super hard. But if it rains for five days... Then you have greens that are dartboards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Mother Nature always has an impact. And they talked this year, the big story at Augusta was the lengthening of the 13th hole. They bought properties. They could move the tee farther back into the trees at 13. Yesterday, most of the guys were still going for that green. Why? Because there was no wind, and it was 80-some-odd degrees with 100% humidity. So the ball just is a rocket in those types of conditions. Now, on the weekend, when the wind's going to switch from a different direction, it's going to be 35 degrees colder, the ball's not going to go anywhere. So the conditions have a huge impact on how the golf ball reacts off the club, how it travels. So these players are paying attention to it. Uh, But I think this week it was more just we knew the weather forecast was so bad. And so I I think it's just uh, how much golf are they going to get in uh, is there going to be an, an advantage for guys in particular waves? And that may still prove to be true if there are storms that pop up this afternoon. But for a golf tournament like this that only had 88 guys that teed it up at the beginning of it, it's not like a typical week on the PGA Tour when you have 144 or 156-man fields and you're literally playing from sunup to sundown and you have significant advantages from the guys that are playing in the morning versus the afternoon. It's a little bit more of a steady off the first tee type of rhythm with this golf tournament. But yeah, this week I think it was just, you know, with an inch or two inches of rain and really the temperatures and the wind tomorrow. I mean, it's just going to be a bad day to be on a golf course mm-hmm. tomorrow. Like, I, I would not want to play golf tomorrow, even if I was given the ticket to Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> Will Haskett, nice enough to take some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Will Haskett. Will, guys not named Kepka and Rom across the board at one DraftKings Sportsbook are plus 1,000 or better to win outright. So I'm basically asking you for, for names or value where you see things playing out. Uh, I only say that because Kepka and Rom are both plus 165, plus 250. Everybody else, you get a pretty decent bang for your buck. If you were to, maybe you're not. Maybe you feel like, hey, there's no value, don't waste your time. But if you were to name somebody else not named Kepka and Rom that you'd be comfortable hitching your wagon to uh, here as the second round progresses, who would it be? Yeah, and it's weird because there's never, I never think there's any value in any golfer that's, you know, shorter than 10 to 1 most weeks, even when it goes into the weekends. And it, for some reason, I almost think Kepka has value with plus odds in front of him because of those weather conditions. Yeah. Uh, Jason Day has been playing winning level golf in 2023, and he's made an absolute mess coming in today. He was nine under through 14 holes, jumped one in the water at 15, and then followed it up with a bogey at 16. So he's six under and six shots back, but I still think has all of the combination of skills. And is another one of those guys that's about to post a number. I don't know where he's hit it on 18 right now, uh, but if he can get it in at minus six or maybe even squeeze a birdie at 18 and stay five or six back, 
again, this is a guy that's been on a short list a lot, so I think that there's some value in that one. And, uh, you know, I mean, further on down the line, I mean, there's just so many good guys that are in that pack. It's the question of who you're going to pick out of it because the leaderboard right now to the top 15 is just stacked with incredible names. So whether it's Sam Burns, who won a couple of weeks ago at match play, Jordan Spieth just kind of had a ho-hum day today. He's just sort of lurking. But it's going to get so hard this weekend that par is going to be your friend. Creativity is going to be your friend. So if Kepka were to stumble, you know, I kind of like a guy who can scrap it around. So it's that's why Rom's probably near the top as a co-favorite. But maybe Jordan Spieth. I think the, the harder the golf course gets, the more it would probably play into Jordan Spieth's hands because all of a sudden his short game becomes more of an advantage. Because right now it's just a scorable golf course. So the very best players in the world, like a Rom, like the way that Kepka is playing, have risen to the top because they can do anything they want to right now in this golf course. You referenced Sam Bennett, the amateur, who, like you said, is still in school at Texas A&M. And you look at this leaderboard, he's right there, a stroke behind John Rahm, like Victor Hovland. He's at minus six right now for the tournament. How would you describe how difficult it is to do what he's doing right now? Yeah, I, he's a really good player, and he probably should have – no, not should have. He probably could have turned professional last year if he wanted to and ended up sticking out for another year in College Station for a number of reasons, no, no, number one being to, to take advantage of the fact that he won the U.S. Amateur um, and just to play in that tournament. And when he wins it, to maintain the advantages, and that is you know getting into the tournament here this year because that goes away if you turn professional. They typically rescind that invitation um, if you've given up your amateur status. Um, but for a guy like Sam Bennett, it, he's just a gutsy, scrappy kid who's won at every level. There's a ton of great stories about his father who had early onset dementia, and the influence that he has, the tattoo he has in his arm of the last words of wisdom that his dad gave him. I mean, there's a lot to really like about Sam Bennett. I spent some time with him down in Texas at an amateur event a few years ago. and I mean, just an absolute competitive spitfire of an athlete. Uh, you, your back hurts if you watch him swing a golf club. Like he's got a, it's like a 90-degree <laughs> angle of impact down there. I don't know how long that's sustainable. But there's just something around this golf course. You have to be so precise. You have to have the game. You have to have the goods to be able to play well here. But you also have to have just a want to and a will to get the ball in the hole, to gut out a par when you're out of position. And look, the weekend's going to get here. It's going to get really, really hard. There's going to be more of a microscope on him. You know, the odds say he's not going to be able to maintain this type of level. But I do appreciate the fact that of all the amateurs in the field, he wasn't the one we were talking about at the beginning of the week. Gordon Sargent, the 19-year-old from Vanderbilt, has unworldly length and incredible ball striking skills and is almost dead last. Like he was the guy I was looking forward to watching this week. And instead it's Sam Bennett, who I think, you know, maybe even a chip on his shoulder about it. Like he is just an absolute gamer, just a, you know, if it was football, he's a slot receiver. You know, if he's basketball, he's like a Braden Smith at Purdue, you know, just like a guy that goes out there and finds a way to scrap it around and get it done, but also probably doesn't get enough respect for how much game he really has. So I like the fact that he's getting this spotlight here this week because he's a really good story uh, and he's going to be a good professional. Will Haskett with us here on The Fan. Will, I know you talked to the morning show earlier this week and while my in-depth knowledge might not be as precise in this realm as one Kevin Bowen, uh, I am also a big Tiger Woods fan. So I got to ask the question while we're here, as you're looking at where he stands, tied for 50th right now, two pars to start the day. Uh, my expectation of, oh, maybe there'll be some noise on Sunday has been whittled down to, let's make the cut. Uh, think he makes the cut? We need. We got to root for no storms. We got to get this round in today. I think if if they have to come back out tomorrow in cold conditions and it's a start stop type of situation for him and trying to get the body revved up, I think it becomes a real problem for him. 
but this is going to be a tough afternoon sitting on the cut line for Tiger. I, I was disappointing yesterday because it looked like he just wasn't right at the beginning of the day. His warm-up looked a little bit stiff. He just didn't look as if everything came together. He needs a lot of good things to go his way. Like some days are better than others with the body, and yesterday the body wasn't good, and it's a sign of his greatness that he's still on the cut line. I mean, he's beaten a number of high-quality players at the peak of their game right now, and he's doing it with smoke and mirrors, really, around a golf course that he knows better. So can he make the cut? Absolutely. He's Tiger Woods. Uh, so that's totally possible. He needs. We need to get this round in today because I think in cold, wet conditions tomorrow, if, say, something pops up in the next hour and it pulls him off the golf course and he's got to play, you know, Another nine holes tomorrow, um, oof, I think that'd be really, really hard on him and the body to do that. So if you're rooting for a Tiger Woods made cut, um, root for the Storms to miss Augusta this afternoon. You know, Will, before you go, I was just curious if the Masters for you is like music for me, meaning if uh, a Johnny-come-lately is like, oh, yeah, Metallica, Enter Sandman, and that's all they know, I'm like, get out of my face. You don't know anything right now. Is that how the Masters is for you when you get these Johnny-come-latelys? Like, oh, I mean, it, act like they know what they're talking about, and you're like, you don't know anything about any of the non-major tournaments. Do you look at it like that at all? Uh, sometimes. I mean, that'd be a little <laughs> bit too uh, high and mighty of me to sort of say that. I, I joke with I joke with you guys. It's like, I'm doing 40 tournaments a year on PGA Tour Radio, and funny, this is the first time all year that I'm doing the car wash on 1070, the fan, to talk about golf. <laughs> 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 That's the reality of the business, right? I mean, it's it's a niche sport, and you know, it's been good to me my entire life, but we recognize that this is a week where this is one of the preeminent sporting events in all of sport around the world. And so I get that. It'd be the same thing for me talking about, like, I know tennis when I'm only watching Wimbledon, the French Open, and the U.S. Open probably every year. And I'm skipping one of the majors. I don't even pay attention to the Australian Open, you know? So it's it's a great week to introduce people to certain characters, and I hope that then they turn around and they want to watch them. I mean, the PGA Tour has adjusted its schedule now to try and bring the best players together as much as possible. And next week's another one of their new um, designated events, um, the RBC Heritage over in Hilton Head, which has always been a great event on the schedule. But now this year, every single top player is committed to play in it. So whatever happens this week, you're going to see those PGA Tour players all playing together next week. So maybe it kind of drives some attention going there now. Granted, if Brooks Koepka goes on the win, he's not a PGA Tour player anymore. He's a live golfer. And that's a different conversation for a different day. Maybe on Monday when I'm sitting in there with Jimmy doing this show from noon to three. We'll see what we're going to talk about coming up on Monday. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, man. Well, hey, Will, thanks for the time, man. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, Will. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Will Haskett, PGA Tour Radio. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, I want to welcome in Kevin Bowen, Kevin and Query. You hear him here on The Fan. Huge Tiger fan. And Eddie Garrison, uh, that's the music choice he went with right there. You know, uh, what do you think, KB? What do you think about Tiger so far in the Masters? Trying to cling on, make the cut here. Yeah, we are in full grind mode. Um, yeah, make yes. the cut is certainly uh, where we're at. Trying to extend the streak one more, 23 years in a row as a professional with Chitaya Masters record. So, I mean, yesterday, and, and I Tiger said it pretty accurately after the round, that was the gettable day. You know, he was in the morning wave yesterday. That's when a lot of guys went low, and he did not. Didn't hit it close to the hole, and short game is nowhere near what it used to be in terms of rock solid. And, you know, even early on today, just a little off with a bunch of pars here early. So, 
Uh, hovering right around it, so we'll see if he can uh, make the cut. And I, I say you make the cut and then you withdraw so you don't have to play tomorrow in 45-degree rain, rainy weather. Kev, when you examine, I, I guess that undercuts part of my next question because we always like to be able to see a full Sunday across this great event with Tiger involved in it. Regardless of whether he withdraws or not, are you at a point where this is probably what it's going to look like for him across the board, even here at Augusta? Of course, he knows so well because of where his body is at. Yeah, more or less. I mean, he really is going to have to catch lightning in a bottle from a Mother Nature standpoint. And again, I know that that like might seem a little bit far-fetched to a lot of people, but I just think his body needs it to be as warm and he needs the golf course to be as firm as possible to you know, create a little bit more of a you've got to think your way around it and it's not just super wet and it's how far you can fly it. I mean, we watched Tiger hit the golf ball. Now he still hits it fine, but he's not flying it. You know, he, he hits this little weak splice pretty much everywhere. Um, and I think any golfer knows that, you know, that's typically a sign of someone that can't create the same type of swing speed and just um, it, it's much more of a think your way around the golf course. And uh, that's hard to do when the golf course is 7,500 yards, which Augusta National isn't as wet as it is. So, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of wishful thinking at this point for everything to match up. Um, you know, certainly from a walking standpoint, this golf course is not the easiest to walk either. So that would not help him as, you know, 72 holes move along. But stringing together four rounds just seems like a long, long ways away for Eldrick. How about the top of the leaderboard here, KB, where Brooks Kepka he leads all golfers. He's at minus 12, done for the day. Sam Bennett. The amateur, he's in second place now. He's at minus eight. Which do you think is the better story? Brooks Kepka coming back from the kneecap injury from about two years ago, and now he's leading. Or Sam Bennett, who's an amateur, who's done something in the first round, no bogeys at the Master, that hasn't been done in the last 30 years. Kepka or Team Bennett for you, KB? Yeah, I mean, the, the Kepka story is, you know, deserves credit, but yeah, nothing compares to what Sam Bennett is doing right now. I mean, he's approaching something that's never been done in Masters history in terms of being the low amateur. Um, I think if he gets a nine under, maybe that would be the lowest ever for an amateur through 36 holes. And, you know, we're talking about a tournament that has gone on for quite some time. I don't know how familiar people are with Sam Bennett. Yeah, I remember watching the USAM last summer. Um, and they really focus on the story there of his father passing just a couple of years ago. He's got a tattoo on his arm about it. Um, and, and this is a guy that plays a little bit of fire. I don't know if we've seen it fully just yet, but plays a little bit of fire, a little bit of swagger. Um, and, I mean, it's darn impressive <laughs> what he's doing. Also, he's playing the defending champ and is absolutely, you know, waxing Scotty Scheffler right now, which that only kind of adds to it. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, and again, I've been pretty vocal about my displeasure with live golf. I mean, Brooks Kepka, um, that's a hell of an effort through 36 holes. Um, I mean, it just looks pretty, pretty easy for Kepka. It looks a little tiger in his prime. You know, when you look at today's round, uh, he shot five under and literally played the par fives and five under. So those four holes, three birdies and an eagle, he even par the rest of the round, just smart. Solid, you know, middle of the greens on par fives, rolling an eagle putt on eight. Um, really clinical by Brooks. And I, I thought after the round, I, I don't know if you guys caught it. You probably didn't because you 
you know, obviously been on air, but I mean, he pretty much said a, a big reason why he went to live at the time he did was because he was he was hurt. And, and you brought it up, Brian, but I mean, mm-hmm. he was hurt pretty seriously and was playing pretty bad golf. And when you combine that, I thought he looked at himself and thought, boy, I don't know how much longer or if I'm going to get back to the level that I was once at. So why not go get that guaranteed money and you know take that as the absolute definite? So. Um, boy, hell of a 36 holes for him. Uh, I like the leaderboard underneath them. I, I, I like a lot of guys, but right now, way too big of a gap for my uh, entertainment viewing. Kevin Bowen and Kevin and Query with us. You can follow him on Twitter at kbowen1070. Kev, any futures bets in terms of outright winners here at Augusta to this point? Will you play anything this weekend? Is there anything that's caught your eye right now? So at the start of the week, I, uh, I put a little scratch on two winners, and that was Victor Hovland, and that was Jason Day. Um, about an hour ago, maybe 90 minutes ago, I felt pretty good about that, and then Jason Day imploded <laughs> on the final four holes. I think he had it to nine under, if I'm not mistaken. I think at one point he was two back at Kepka, and then uh, he played the last four in, in four over. Uh, you know, Hovland right now is at seven, so he's, what, five back of Kepka. He's in third, um, depending on how the weather goes the rest of the day. I mean, Hovland, you would think, has a chance. But right now, I mean, boy, I guess you got to throw a little bit on, you know, some of these guys, you know, five and six back and, and you know, hope that the weather cooperates the rest of the day if they're still on the golf course. Because, again, Brooks Kepka has taken full advantage of a really nice draw and, and clearly has done it like, Nobody else that we're teeing off in the same sort of time slots as him. But, boy, he's got to love kind of kicking up the feet this afternoon, seeing if the wind picks up. Um, so, yeah, right now I just pray the day or hobbling, get in the mix. Uh, and, and really at this point, I, again, just give me drama this weekend. I'm with you. And the whole uh, PGA Tour versus Live Golf Tour, that's drama right there. And what's fascinating to me, KB, is that these live events, they don't count toward qualification. So some of these guys that defected in the past year, they're running out of chances to qualify as time goes on. I think that's bad for golf overall. The PGA Tour might like it where it's like, oh, this live guy isn't going to be there. Well, what a shame. But imagine if we didn't have Brooks Kepka leading right now. That's a storyline. That's drama. I want all the drama I can get. Yeah, and I think, you know, adding to the drama would be if, you know, and hopefully we'll, we'll get that this weekend. Maybe it's a John Rahm making a run today where you get kind of a PGA Tour stalwart to go head-to-head against Brooks. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the type of um, you know, storylines you would love to see. You know, Brooks' case, he's obviously won enough majors that he's still going to be playing in the Masters. Uh, but you do have a lot of guys that are, you know, kind of on, on the fringe of that, that based off the world ranking last year, based off finishing top 12 at the Masters last year, that's why they are in the field. And that obviously won't be a given you know, year in and year out. And really, I mean, a guy that uh, – it, it pains me to say this because I'm a, I'm a Tiger guy and I, and I don't like it all how he's handled things in the past couple of years, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I did not have Phil Mickelson at four under par through, through 36 holes. Mm. Um, he has played terrible over on Liv as well. And, and, you know, some of that I think helps these guys. Again, this is a golf course that they know a lot and, and, and you'll certainly have ample history here. So um, that aspect of it is – pretty familiar to them but for Mickelson and Kepka's case um, you know hell of an effort here heading into the weekend KB want to switch to mock draft central 
as we continue to get closer and closer inside of three weeks now until draft night, we've obviously had the quarterback conversation back and forth, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit over the course of our chat with you here as well. But one look bigger picture outside of the first round. When you look at obvious needs for this team, I, I tend to be more of an offensive first guy, regardless of uh, of maybe the needs present on defense. I'd love to see shiny new toys, shiny new playmakers, particularly at the wide receiver position. When you look at rounds two and three and needs for this team, will they aggressively tack wide receiver first, or do you think it's more cornerback slash additional help on defense after you get side after you get outside of round one? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, knowing Chris Ballard, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on on a lot of heavy <laughs> offensive selections, really. And, yeah. and if you looked at it purely from like a depth chart standpoint. Um, and, and didn't think about, hey, I have a rookie quarterback. How do we best support that rookie quarterback early on? Which, again, I think needs to be the first priority with any roster acquisition move that you make. I mean, corner is a massive need. Um, you know, Stephon Gilmore played over 1,000 snaps for you last year. I mean, right now your your starting corners would be Isaiah Rogers, Dallas Flowers, and then Kenny Moore in a, in a contract year. So even the short term, especially the long term, you've got some big questions at that position. And it does sound like it's a pretty deep cornerback draft. So, you know, maybe that that would be a route that you would pursue. But I tend to side with you. Um, I'd like to see a pass catcher uh, being taken, you know, if not round two, definitely in round three. I get that you have some young guys on your roster that you like. But, you know, when you look at the offensive moves here this offseason, it, it's kind of interesting how it's unfolded in that, you know, the Colts were good on defense last year. Um and they've lost four of their top eight guys on that side of the ball. Um, they were bad on offense, and yet you look at what they've done on offense this year, they've lost you know, a guy that was a nice contributor for them in Paris Campbell, and his replacement to me is more of a kind of a gadget guy in Isaiah McKenzie. So you know, from a personnel standpoint, um, it, it's pretty interesting that they just haven't really touched the offense at all after a year that they were historically poor uh, with that unit. So – um, in some order, I would say it's corner, it's pass catcher, and it's offensive line that I think you need to – those three to me, outside of quarterback, kind of stand above the rest on the needs list. Just had a random thought, KB. We've talked so much draft stuff that I'm just worried I'm going to ask you the same question again. You know what I mean? I feel like you're a nice <laughs> dude. You would just answer it and maybe think to yourself, like, this idiot no already asked me this, but I would never know it. Is that how you would handle it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd be like, yeah, Brian, wow, you asked me that last week and you asked me that back in mid-March because I know, I'm sure as hell that I have asked you know very similar questions, if not the same question. And honestly, part of that is just it's kind of the nature of the season. Like April for a team drafting high in the draft, it, it just it gets a tad redundant. It gets are we having the same conversations over and over again? And you guys know this full well. I mean, this is peak line season. I mean, peak <laughs> line season. Like, everything I hear, see, read, my first thought is skepticism. And I'm, I'm not usually, like, that type of person. I'm not this, like, you know, whatever, king conspiracy theorist or, or you know, I'm like, hmm, you know. But when it comes to draft talk, especially between now and, you know, two weeks from Thursday, everything is like that for me. Kevin, when you look at, where your stance has changed on this quarterback class over the last couple of weeks and as you've talked to more scouts and, and just talked with, with anybody on the show or just on your beat, uh, 1075thefan.com, 
what's been the biggest thing that's changed or moved the needle for you with any of these quarterbacks, even if it's someone that likely won't end up with the Colts like Shroud or Young, assuming that it kind of goes chalk in 1-2 come April 27th? Yeah, it's a, a good way to put it. Um, I, again, I, I continue to think, you know, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are on a tier by themselves. And, you know, I probably felt that way, but I, I just think it's a little bit more reassurance on that. You know, probably a little bit more open-minded to Anthony Richardson. I, I feel like in a weird way, I've always thought just this recent, like, aggressive criticism towards Will Levis is a tad overblown with that. Um and, you know, the question that I threw to Jake earlier today, and I guess I'll toss your guys' way, is how I look at it is if you've got two similar quarterbacks, and let's just play out the hypothetical that it's Levis and Richardson here, to me the question becomes what do those guys lack and what they lack, how teachable is that? You know, how much can you correct it? How much can you develop the trait that they do not have that is the reason why they're not on the tier of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? So in Richardson's case, it's accuracy. And in Levis's case, it's probably some footwork and some processing. And so now you have to look at it and say, all right, is Richardson's accuracy due to a lack of game reps? Is it something from a fundamental standpoint? Can you correct that? And in Levis's case, is it because he had offensive coordinator turnover and the lack of personnel around him was not maybe the most ideal environment this past season at Kentucky? Um, so those are the things like you have to, I think, ask yourself and say, you know, can we develop that? Because, you know, I, I don't think we're in a situation with any of these four guys where we're, we're really questioning too much, like, from a character standpoint. I mean, by all accounts, all of them kind of check that box. This isn't like maybe a Kyler Murray situation or a Baker Mayfield situation when those guys came, came out. I think you feel pretty confident about that. Um, so now it becomes, you know, what do they lack and, and how confident do you feel that you can teach that? That's a good way to look at it, KB. I like that. By the way, before you go, your partner, Jake Query, uh, you know, I would like you to do something for me, okay? So this goes back earlier in the week. He was uh, mentioning me and Dane Fife, a show we did, and we interviewed Trace Jackson Davis. Is this a short snippet of what he said the other day? Trace Jackson Davis did join the midday show here on The Fan with Dane Fife and Brian Noy. Okay, so Noy right there, right? Like, it's no. So if you could, your finishing move of choice, put him in the, the yeah. Stone Cold Stunner, you know, maybe maybe you go Undertaker, Tombstone, Pile Driver, whatever you would like to do. But if he throws out a Brian Noy again, can you do that for me, KB? This rocked him to his core, Kevin. He, he needs some retribution. Yeah. You know, uh, Brian, you, usually when about 10 a.m. hits on Friday, I'm probably ready to go Undertaker with Jake anyway. So <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't even need, know if I needed to uh, have any encouragement from you. But given that, I, I will certainly do that. Um, you know, I, as a diehard Notre Dame basketball fan, I, I am a big uh, follower of Tom Noy. So I must admit, uh, when I first heard that from Jake, I thought, is he referencing Tom Noy? But I will make sure on Monday to let him know that uh, N-O-E, uh, are, any relation to Mark No? by the way? He was a teacher that I had in high school. No, I don't believe so. Um, I'll okay. double check okay. that. I don't think so. I, I would anticipate right. Mark is a great man, though. Yes, he is. He, he, great cat, hell of a, hell of a tennis coach. Uh, so yeah, I will. Uh, I will make sure that um, that does not happen again. And if it does, um, it's not going to end well for, for for Jake and the Undertaker. Perfect. Thank you, KB. I knew I could count on you, man. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend, and thanks for the time today, man. 
Boys, always enjoy it. Happy Friday. Thanks, Kevin. Same too. to you. There he is, Kevin Bowen, Kevin and Query.